Hello and welcome to ProCon. My name is Siddharth Satish and as always, I'm your host in today's episode. Now, as we promised, this week we have a mystery speaker and a mystery, a myriad of mystery tips and techniques to become better at speech writing. Now, our mystery speakers couldn't be with us here today, but they have sent us a list of ideas and topics that are very important to become better communicators. Michael Krogeris and Roman Stapler are leading authors who talk about communication. And their book, The Communication Book, with 44 Ideas for Better Conversations Every Day, has helped many people become better speakers and communicators. So in today's podcast, we'll be focusing on some tips and techniques that they share with us to become better communicators and ultimately win the debate competitions that we go to. So with that being said, let's dive right in. Now, I was going to start by going directly into what Krogeris and Stapler say to us. But I think before we do that, let's clear up some basic mistakes that we can avoid to immediately start improving as a team. One of the major problems that we have is to divide and conquer. It's in our blood to divide labor, to divide tasks, to make it more efficient. And it seems good to do so. But in a debate, when you're trying to absorb ideas and completely immerse yourself in concepts, that might not always be the best idea. So especially in World Schools debate, when you don't have a choice on which side you are, it's important to discuss topics as a team. Making sure that you discuss these ideas and concepts together ensures that you can teach each other and learn from each other and this will improve your memory and understanding of the concepts presented to you. So with that being said, next time you're in a World Schools debate team and you're with two of your other team members trying to prepare for a competition, make sure that you don't divide and conquer but work together and win. Now that that's been said, let's move into some communicating factors that can greatly influence your success in debate. Communication has always been integral to debate because if you can't communicate your ideas, you're not going to defend your side well. And debate is all about making sure that what you argue, what you say, represents not only your values, but also the values of a vast majority of people. So every time you go up and give a speech on a specific side, you're representing the opinions of a thousand people to these judges. And you want to make sure that you're representing those opinions in a proper manner and that you're able to defend those opinions effectively. Now, the first step in many World Schools debate speeches and competitions is to frame your argument effectively. To all those who are starting out, framing is the narrative context upon which you build your whole speech. Irvin Goffman described this form of interpretation 
as framing, and that's where we get the definition from. Now, if we look at a picture in a museum, we know that it is art, even if it looks like a stick figure drawn by a child. If a sensational piece of news is printed in a reputable newspaper, we are more inclined to believe it than if it's reported in a tabloid. This all goes to show how framing your evidence and your argument in the right contest can yield you significant positive results. Now, framing can help you win a debate because your judge better understands what you're saying and your opponent is more inclined to believe you rather than try and oppose you. Now, they are thinking in a way on how to oppose your arguments, but if you frame it in a way that benefits you, you can show the judge that all the evidence and everything points that the right direction to side on is your side. And the opposition team will struggle in trying to find ways to penetrate this barrier of your argument. But realize that everything that is being communicated by you through a proper frame can also be done by your opponent. Many people do utilize this technique, so try to understand the frame of every single argument that your opponent is making and decode that frame. If your opponent makes the argument that 60% of yogurt is fat-free, then you should point out that still a vast majority, 40%, contains a lot of fat. By pointing out these small loopholes in a person's argument, you show that their statistics themselves contribute to your argument, support what you're trying to say. And that can really flip the tables when it comes to a debate. Now, let's look at the second tip that we have here for today. This tip deals with the ability to recognize fake news. Now, we see the term fake news be thrown around and become ubiquitous in recent years. But what, it, what is fake, fake news? It's an aggressive way to influence people. But fake or not, all news is influencing. Now, Edward L. Bernays took full advantage of this. And his most famous work, which he wrote in 1927, entitled Propaganda, but he later changed the name to Public Relations, Bernays wrote, and I quote, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in a democratic society. We are governed, our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. Now, this quote is an accurate description of everything in the world in which we live. And this euphoric-sounding text clearly applies to present day. And when curating your sources, when doing research, you need to keep this in mind. When you look at your pieces of evidence, when you look at articles, ask yourself these questions. Who? Who said it? By asking this question, we divert our attention to the sender. Laswell called this control analysis. Who is talking? What is their aim? Who are their allies? Question your sources, and don't let them question your beliefs. What? By looking at what is being said, we give attention to the actual message, the content analysis, 
To identify the aim behind the message, we can, for example, ask, how are women or people of color represented? What does the phrasing imply? So look at the deeper meaning of the text than what is superficially being represented. Which? By answering which channel question, we make a media analysis. Why are they using this channel? How can they afford it? Who paid for it? Now, when you're asking these types of questions, also question the validity of statistics that you see. It's an old trip in, trick in the book to counter someone else's statistic when it's quite strong. But it's also something that you need to make sure that your opponent doesn't pull on you. To whom? The audience analysis can reveal something about the aim of the sender. Why are they specifically talking to these sets of people? Finally, with what effect? With the effect analysis, we ask, how did the audience react? What does this tell us about the sender? Dr. Harold D. Laswell, an American sociologist, was concerned about the effects of mass media and his messages about who, what, which, to whom, with what effect is a simple formula to sharpen your senses for propaganda, wherever it's coming from. And this is a major strategy that can be used to your advantage to analyze, interpret, and understand whether the sources that you're going to be using in your debate are pieces of propaganda or actual reliable sources of information that can help your frame of your argument, that can help you communicate your perspective, your opinions, or the side for which you have been called on to speak about effectively. And this can have a significant impact on the way everyone perceives what you are saying. Now, we just spoke a lot about messages, the way in which they're interpreted, and the way in which we can make them more effective. Now, let's recognize that messages can be understood differently. Is what I can hear the same as what you're saying? That's the question that we should be asking ourselves when looking at our speech. When we type it up, is what you're saying what the audience will perceive? Now, Stuart Hall, one of the greatest communication theorists, was of the opinion that not always that what you're saying and what other people perceive are going to be the same. We are capable of misunderstanding, but we play an active role in understanding. We interpret or decode the same messages differently, depending on our social class, our level of knowledge, and our cultural background. But above all, the way we understand a message also depends on how we want to understand it. Let's make sure that in a debate, we convince people to want to understand it on your side. Now, there are three ways that a message can be understood. Dominant hegemonic, the desired reading. We understand the message the way it was intended. Oppositional, we oppose or dismiss the intended meaning. Negotiated, a combination of the two. Now, to see whether all of your statements follow these rules, it's quite simple. Engage in a debate with your teammates. Split up your group. If you have a team of six for World Schools debate, 
split your team up, include alternates, other delegates who may be competing, and then discuss what you're doing and engage in a sample competition. That will be very effective in determining how your message is perceived by the opposite side. Because the opposite side wants to believe that you're wrong. They don't want to believe that what you're saying, how you're saying is right. Because the way in which they want to believe is that you're inaccurate, your points are void, and that they win the round. But when you look for whether the message was understood clearly after your debate has completed, if you're in the dominant hegemonic range for most of your speech, chances are your opponent is also going to understand your speech effectively. And that is a strategy that can make the judges side with you at a far greater chance than with your opponent and can make what you're saying effective, clear, concise, to the point, and effective in communicating what you want to. The next thing that we're going to be taking a look at is how visual communication can significantly enhance your debate. When we want to communicate something, we use signs, words that I'm using right now, gestures, if you could see me, you might see my hands moving right now, facial expressions, formulas, symbols, and anything that people can translate into meaning. Semiotics is the study of science. It's a cross-section of sciences from the disciplines of psychology, philosophy, sociology, linguistics, computer science, design, art, and mathematics. The bottom line is we find signs everywhere we come across culture rather than nature. Some signs, the swastika, a traffic light, the Nike swoosh, are easy to spot and more legible than words. We see them and understand what it means, a story, a rating, a command, or a message springs to mind. Now, you don't have to draw a swastika out on the board or make it with your hands, but this shows the impact of hand gestures. And you, as a speech and debater, should make sure that you have certain cues in your debate on where you're going to put hand gestures. Now, many times we like to make it quite go with the flow whenever you feel like putting hand gestures, you're going to put it there. But for certain topics, for certain issues, a hand gesture could enhance the way in which you communicate. If you say something like brutally and step forward and open up your hands, it shows a sense of vulnerability that whatever you're describing, whatever person, object, or thing, that you're describing would have felt. It allows the judges and your competitor to connect with you. And that's not something that many people can do immediately. Of course, you can phase out this practice, but keeping it there in the first place can be super effective in helping you become a better communicator. Now, many semioticians believe that signs are important and gestures are important in communication. Everyone thinks they understand something about these signs. And this is very, very true. Because most people tend to understand things better when they're enhanced by an image. And you can't paint a picture and put it in front of your competitors, but you can give them something along those lines with your gestures. So when someone tells you, make more hand gestures, pace across the room, It's not to make your life harder. It's not to give you an extra task 
It's to make sure that they can understand what you're saying. That's what's important in a debate. Mutual understanding. Now, let's think about some other things that Stapler and Krogers share with us. Euphemisms. Euphemisms are a sort of linguistic whitewashing. Governments prefer to speak enhanced interrogation methods rather than torture. No one will say that they're being dis, uh, dismissed, but that the company's reconstructing. Products are a bargain, not cheap. If we tell a lie, we are simply stretching the truth. And in a debate where you're supposed to argue for a side that is inherently flawed, many times you can be put in that position. And euphemisms can, be the pro- can provide you with a secret weapon that can have a significant impact. At first glance, they're not visible, but their attacks are insidious. By the time you become aware of them, the damage is already done. Now, the Nazis weren't the best people in terms of values and beliefs, but Hitler, along with many other Nazi political party affiliates, were excellent communicators. They got a whole nation to get behind their radical beliefs, they got a whole nation to get behind the idea that killing innocent Jews, innocent civilians was permissible. And that's because of the obfuscate language that they use. So let's look at some terms that they used. Land consolidation instead of expulsion. Labor camp instead of concentration camp. Special action instead of killing. Now, no one's saying to use euphemisms in a similar way or for similar reasons, but by using them, you can be politically accurate, but you can also support your topic. You can defend your claim without being too out there. Of course, you're supposed to have strong, radical beliefs sometimes, and most debates, that's what you're trying to present. But sometimes, there is qualification of an argument that needs to take place. Many times, if you're given a broad world schools debate topic, and if you are supposed to be siding with the proposition, and there is a lot of arguments against one side, you first should try and construct and see different ways to solve the problem and present arguments, but you should also look at how euphemisms and qualifying your argument could have an effect. Now, I've completed some of the most important tips that Stapler and Krogers have asked me to share with you. But now I'm going to go into detail about one more tip that's going to have a significant impact on the way in which you communicate. And I already mentioned this before. Any hints? Well, it's qualification of your argument. Now, what qualification means is stratifying your argument to one specific focus. By making something broad, it is something more niche, something more focused. This can guide your research and make it harder for your opponent to go against you because you're still solving the resolved, but you're just making it very, very focused. Many times, opposition speakers might not even have research on the topic that you're discussing. That's how efficient this qualification of an argument can be. And when used to your advantage, can be the best weapon 
and the arsenal. Now, when it comes to writing speeches, many people tend to write out full speeches. And these last few tips ultimately depend on your preference and the way in which you remember better. For me, as an avid speech and debater in NSDA, mock trial, moot court, model congress, JSA, multiple other clubs, the main thing is I like writing speeches as bullet points rather than flushing it out completely because it gives me a sense that I have to remember every single detail when I don't have to. Some people prefer having that sense of reassurance that there's something to file back upon, but that's my personal preference. So here's a quick test on how to decide whether you should write with bullet points or you should write out a whole paragraph. And paragraphs tend to become eventual flashcards, so we're going to leave that all out of the realm. This is a special pro-con designed question and answer that can help you decide. So here goes. If you're able to remember facts and statistics quite easily, meaning you don't have to look over it two or three times, bullet point. If you can explain facts or statistics on the spot, go with bullet points. If you just need one sentence to start off your speech with and a small structure on what to do and how the cause and effect relationship plays out, go with bullet points. If you're a first time speaker, always type out your whole speech, look over it, and make sure you know it inside and out. Don't memorize, learn and understand. Speech and debate is like another class. You need to understand the concepts, learn it and know it inside and out to succeed and do well. So if you are a first time speech and debater, or if you find comfort in knowing that facts and statistics are not always needed to be memorized, are there in your hand when you need it, Go with the paragraph. So now that you've taken this little quiz and seen where you fall, take a moment to reflect on the tips and tricks that you will use. Scroll back and see whether you want to use euphemisms in your next debate, whether you're going to qualify your argument, whether you're going to change the vernacular, the jargon that you use in your speech and debate competitions, whether you're going to make your gestures more necessary, more expressive and more communicative of what you're trying to say. All of these can play a significant role in your ability to communicate effectively. And hopefully today you got to know how to write a better speech than ever before. We hope as a team on ProCon that you got to learn and expand those wings even farther today and make sure that the next speech you give is the best one yet and the speech after that, the best it can possibly be. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of ProCon. My name is Siddharth Satish. Keep debating, keep listening to ProCon, and next week we will be continuing another episode of our three-part series here on ProCon. Thank you so much for listening to me. Have a wonderful day. Signing off, Siddharth Satish. Thank you, and keep listening to ProCon.